0: We have two readings this evening. Um, the first is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or, your man, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor.
1: Our second reading is from the book of Ezekiel, we'll start our reading in chapter 36 at verse 18. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name for it was said of them, These are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord said. It is not for your sake, a house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned amongst them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will bring you, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean.
2: Good evening. Good evening. Welcome again to Christchurch Mayfair. My name is Richard. If we haven't met, I'd love to say hello later. Uh, please do keep Exodus 20 open on page 78. Uh, there's an outline on the back of the sheet. A slightly daunting looking one this evening, the sort of thing you might expect to find at the British Library or Museum, wherever we're going. Uh, I was told a few years ago by a previous minister here that a full outline means a short talk. Let's see if that's true. Let's see if that's true. Uh, shall we pray as you look at God's word together? God, our Father, we praise you that you are the Lord, our God, who brought us out of slavery. Who brought us not from Egypt, but from bondage to Satan, to sin, to death. And has given us freedom, has given us life by your word. And so now by that same word, Father, would you speak to us? Would you give us life, light, truth, by your spirit? Please change us. Please show us Christ. Amen. You'll see at the top of this, uh, the outline there, I've titled the sermon slightly enigmatically, How's Your Driving? How's Your Driving? I don't actually care about your driving. Uh, but you know you get those stickers on the back of vans, whatever it is, acardo Eskimo Ice going around London. Uh, How's my driving? With a phone number, which is a slightly odd thing when you think about it. Because you're not going to get a representative survey that way. No one is ever going to phone and say, I was particularly impressed with the way that the man in your van mirror-signal manoeuvred. I I thought he did a very good job of keeping two chevrons uh, away from the car in front. You're only ever going to get complaints on a number like that. You're only going to get someone cut me up, someone got in my way, someone was really annoying. It's a pretty depressing job to be on the other end of that phone line. But of course the reason companies do that is because those vans bear the name of the company. It's emblazoned on the side, on the back, everywhere you can see it. And so the way that van drives represents the company whose name it bears. If you've never shopped at a Cardo, the only thing you'll know about them, the only thing you'll have to judge whether they're good or not, is how the vans drive. So if we just got a car this week, 10 years I've been in London, never had a car, I haven't driven for two years. Emily's on for work, we went to pick one up from her parents. Yesterday, drove it back, North Circular, 10.30 at night. Uh, it's dark. Suddenly the lanes vanish. Uh, there's one juncture, they just are not any more lanes. If the Acardo van drives the way I drove last night, no one's going to buy their groceries. So it matters. It matters. If you have a company's name on you, it matters how you drive. What's that got to do with anything? We'll see this evening that Christians bear the Lord's name It's like we have it stamped on our arms. Everywhere we go, whatever we do, we bear the Lord's name. The way we drive, the way we live in the world, for many that will be the one window they have into what God is like. And it'll either be a true representation or a false one. A good one or a bad one. But Christians bear the name of the Lord. And so we represent him as we live. And so how we drive, how we live, matters. Matters. It matters. Uh, What we're going to do, you can see on the outline, uh, we're just going to go through the phrase of this commandment. Uh, All the summer. we're looking at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The headline over them all is verse 2. At the top of uh, the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. These are God's words, God's law, to a people he has rescued. They're not how you get favour with God. Do these ten things, he'll like you. To people who have been rescued, who've been saved, brought out of slavery. God says, now this is how you live in freedom. This is what freedom looks like. And we're at number three this week, verse seven. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who misuses his name. Well, see, I've put it at the top of the outline uh, slightly more clunky, but slightly more literal translation, I think, will help us uh, follow this through. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold guiltless anyone who bears his name in vain. As, to keep it simple, we're just going to work through the phrases of that commandment in turn. You can see them in the outline. Uh, various other parts of the Bible we are going to bounce off to. Uh, the references are there. The verses will appear on the screen, so not much flicking around. Uh, we're going to follow it through. So the first part, you shall not bear... You shall not bear. I think it's very easy to think of this third commandment as slightly the runt of the litter out of the ten commandments. You've got ten commandments. Uh, Lots of them are pretty tough. They're pretty imposing. They're, They're beefy things. And then you shall not misuse God's name. Just manage not to say, oh my God or Jesus Christ, when you hear bad news and you're done. You can tick this one off and move on. But actually the commandment, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh, is much stronger than that. So this word bear, it's a it's a branding word. You know how you're in the countryside, you'll see cows have a farmer's name or number sort of stamped on the side of them. Stamped? Did that, did branded. Branded on the side of this cow, so you know whose it is. More acutely in the culture of the day, a slave would have his master's name branded onto him so that you'd know whose he is. Now, of course, that means they can't run away. But it also means that the slavers, they go about with the master's name on them represents their master when they speak and walk and trade and buy and sell and work they do it in the name of their master and many people who never meet the master but meet the slave that's how they'll form their opinion of the master to bear the lord's name means that we represent him as we go i found myself last year almost exactly a year ago literally bearing the name of the lord uh Revive at a big church weekend away, I was helping with some of the kids' work and I was teaching from Ephesians that Jesus is the, the foundation, the cornerstone of the church. And so away in Canterbury we had this, this big towel we made representing the church out of cardboard boxes and a huge box at the bottom with Jesus' name stamped across the side to show Jesus the foundation of the church. And I was moving house next week so I wanted the boxes to help us move house. So someone kindly drove them back here. And then I had to get them on the tube back up to uh, where we lived in Camden at the time. And so I'm walking down uh, Piccadilly with this giant box with Jesus stamped across the side. Obviously, flat packed down, I'm not stupid, but it's still pretty big uh, with Jesus on the side. Now, walking down Piccadilly, you don't get many odd looks because it's London. Like, we see weirder things than that before breakfast. But you know sometimes you get on the tube and there's that guy... (laughs) who thinks it's a good idea to try and bring 15 suitcases to Heathrow in rush hour, or a double base or something. A year ago, I was that guy with this giant... Except it wasn't me. It had, I hadn't taken Jesus' name off. So it was Jesus was here just getting in people's way, blocking the exits, tripping people up. And I slightly at the end of it thought that wasn't, that wasn't great advertising for church, to have Jesus doing that. But of course, it's a silly example. But it did drive home to me a year ago, that is what it is to be a Christian. It is to go around life carrying the name of Jesus, to have it. Not literally, but that we bear it. And as people watch how we live, what we do, what we say, they're seeing something of Jesus. It might be a true representation or a false one. But what they see represents Jesus. Of course, that is true for all Christians. Jesus would say in Matthew 28... That all Christians are baptised into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every baptised Christian bears the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We bear his name. Okay, you shall not bear. The second phrase of this commandment, the name of Yahweh your God. And it's worth pausing there just to think about this name. The name of Yahweh. Because if we don't know the name, what it is, what it means, who he is, then of course we won't know what it is to bear the name well or badly. So the name, the name of Yahweh your God. And Exodus, where we've been all year, is a brilliant place to stop and think about the name of Yahweh. One of the huge things in Exodus is God revealing his name, revealing himself. So back in chapter 3, a long way back, Moses says to God, tell me your name. What is it? When the people ask me, who, who spoke to you? What's your name? And God replies, Yahweh. Tell them my name is Yahweh. See, the God who made everything, the God who holds past and future in his hands, the God who angels worship, said to Moses, you don't have to call me God. You don't have to call me Lord. You don't have to call me Sir. You can call me Yahweh. I call me by my name. It's as if the Queen, I was talking with someone this morning who's working in Buckingham Palace, it's a lot of fun. Uh, imagine if the Queen came up to her one day and said, don't call me Your Majesty, call me Liz. And let me show you around. God says, don't call me God, call me Yahweh, it's my name. Except with no offense to any Liz's here tonight, Liz is just a name, there's nothing particularly special about the name Liz. The name, plenty special about the people, but the name, normal name. Whereas Yahweh is a name unlike any other name. And so through Exodus, you learn more and more about the name Yahweh, what it means, what it represents, who this Yahweh is. Through the whole book of Exodus, until the climax in chapter 34, we thought about this a couple of weeks ago. Moses stands on a mountain, and the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Yahweh comes to Moses and says, you want to know my name? That is it. The name that Christians bear, the name that we've been baptized into is Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And God says, Yahweh says, you don't just know my name. Don't just call on my name. You bear my name. You represent my name in the world. And of course, as Christians, we can push further than that. It's not just the name of Yahweh we know, but the name of Jesus. Throughout the New Testament part of the Bible, it quotes parts of the Old Testament talking about Yahweh and applies them straight onto Jesus. The Yahweh that you learn about in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through, it's Jesus. When the New Testament calls him Lord Jesus, they mean Yahweh Jesus. That's who he is. And so it's no surprise, the verse we had right at the beginning of the service. That we hear that God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The Lord Jesus, Yahweh Jesus, has the name that is above every name. Now I think that's helpful actually in thinking through maybe one of the biggest fears, biggest concerns that we have about a commandment like this which, if I can put it like this, would simply be Charlie Hebdo. Because six months ago in January, 12 people were murdered in Paris because the name of Muhammad was insulted. And so in some sense, it's a completely natural fear. If Christians talk like this, if Christians say that Jesus has the name above every name, that he deserves all honour from every man, woman and child on this planet, isn't it inevitable... That where Jesus is ignored, where his name is a swear word or the punchline of a joke, isn't it inevitable that you'll get acts of religious violence? Isn't it inevitable that you'll get all kinds of hate speech? If you have a commandment like this, isn't that just going to happen? And the answer is no. And the reason is, the reason is the way you honour a person has to be in line with, in proportion with, in kind with, the kind of person they are. So great sportsmen and women are honoured by having stadiums named after them, sports stadiums. Giant kind of brained academics, they're honoured by giant brained books that people have written in their area of research. If you had a kind of all-conquering, brutal, killing dictator, then I suppose you would honour them by killing anyone who got in their way. You honour a person in kind, in proportion with the kind of person they are. And so what of Jesus? What of Jesus? Well, let me just read you the verse before, the one on the top of our service sheet. Which says this. And being found in appearance as a man... Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Because Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross, therefore, for that reason, he's been given the name above every other name. See, Jesus hasn't been given the greatest name because of his sporting prowess or his power. He's not been given it because of his great wisdom or his teaching or because of his raw, unstoppable strength. He's been given the greatest name, the name above every name, because of his self-sacrifice, because of his suffering. The truth at the centre of Christianity is that the moment of Jesus' greatest honour is the moment of his greatest humiliation, it is the cross. That Jesus' throne is his cross, That Jesus' crown is the thorns that were pushed into his head. That Jesus' praise is the insults that were yelled at him. That Jesus' honour guard are the soldiers who nailed him to the cross. For Jesus, the moment of his great honour is the moment of his great humiliation. And so Christians can never, must never try to defend the honour of Jesus by doing the opposite Of what this Jesus would do. You cannot honour this Jesus. The Jesus whose honour is his self-sacrifice. By committing an act of religious violence in his name. You cannot honour this Jesus. By committing religious violence in his name. Or to put it another way. As another part of the Bible puts it. I think the verse is coming up on the screen. Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example. That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. That is what Christian extremism looks like. It looks like being insulted and suffering and not kicking back. For Jesus, that's what it looked like. And for a Christian then to be extreme about following Jesus will will mean... Following in his steps. Jesus, who could have killed to save his life, to save his reputation, instead chose to be killed to save the world. And Christians must follow in his steps. To bear his name means to follow him in that. I know Phil's already mentioned it's a huge issue. Two weeks' time, we're thinking much more about this. Other religions, how does Jesus fit to them? These kind of claims... How do they? How do we think about them? Stephen's going to help us after the service in two weeks' time and engage. Think about that more. We could chat more this evening if that would be helpful. For now, we're going to push on with the commandment to push on. Uh, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God in vain. In vain. That's the next part of the commandment. In vain. And in one sense, we could make this point very quickly. You bear Jesus' name, live like Jesus'. On the other hand, the whole Bible gives us description after description after description of what Jesus is like, what it means to live like Him, to bear His name well. And so, kind of, compromise between one sentence and the whole Bible. Uh, we're looking at four points, four little P's, I've got them on the sheet. Four ways for us that we can bear God's name well or badly. The first is profanity. Profanity. I've put a question mark after that. The reason is, It may be a surprise, there is no command in the Bible, no instruction that says don't use God or Jesus or Christ as a swear word. Which surprised me when I worked it out. Uh, There's no command, which I've put a question mark. I can't show you a Bible verse that says this is what the commandment means. But I'm pretty sure the reason for that is that for Moses and for Paul and the others who wrote the Bible, it was just obvious you can't hear the name of Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, maintaining love to thousands. You can't revel in the name of Jesus, given the name above every other name, and then even consider using it as a replacement for a four letter word for sex or for feces. I don't think it crossed their mind is the reason they didn't need to write it as a commandment. And of course, it may be for some, especially for some who became Christians as adults, to change. That habit of just using the word carelessly would take hard work. But what a thing to pray for. What a thing to ask others to help with. That in even the way we speak his name, we would bear it well. Profanity, that's the first area. Promises. I, I think in the Bible, that the main, the first, the most direct implication of this commandment is in the oaths, the, the promises that God's people make. So in Leviticus, the next book in the Bible... God's people are instructed, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. If you swear in God's name something you know is false, if you promise in God's name to do something you have no intention of doing, that drags God's name, the God who cannot lie, it drags his name through the mud. Of course, for us, things like this wouldn't happen very often. I suppose in a legal setting, we might still be asked to swear to God. You need to know this commandment says that is a very serious thing to do. Or some here who are married will have sworn wedding vows. And at the end of that, in the presence of God, I make this vow. We need to know that is a very serious thing. The Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who bears his name in vain. Anyone who makes a promise in the name of the Lord and then breaks it. It's a very serious thing. So it applies to profanity, it applies to promises. Third thing, it applies to prophecy. Prophecy, again, have a look at this. First from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I've not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. Again, to be clear, in the New Covenant, this is written in the Old Testament period of the Bible. In the New Covenant, the church has no authority to kill anyone. We're not setting up a guillotine in the kitchen to make sure this happens. But it's a serious thing to speak in the name of the Lord, to speak in the name of God something he hasn't said, to make a promise on his behalf that he's never promised. Is a deadly serious thing. Of course, sometimes it's very obvious to see that. Someone will stand up, maybe holding a Bible, maybe not maybe in a church building, maybe not, but in God's name will say, if you become a Christian, life will be perfect. You'll be prosperous, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, anything you imagine, you'll have it. And for those of us who've read the Bible for a while, we know that's so completely opposite from what the Bible says. In five minutes, you just stop listening. So sometimes it's very obvious, sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's the phrases that we say, just having not really thought them through. Maybe it's someone's a tough time, anxious about something in the future, and we tell them, don't worry, God's in control, he wouldn't let something like that happen. Maybe as we say, I know I really shouldn't be going out with them, but oh, the Lord will understand, he wants me to be happy and this makes me happy. Maybe we say, I know it's tough to keep putting an application for job after job after job and getting rejection, but keep going, God has the perfect job lined up for you around the corner. Well-meaning things to say, probably. But how do we know? that God, Has God promised any of those things? Do you have a chapter and a verse in the Bible where you can say, this is what the Lord says? If not, to say something in God's name that God hasn't said. Well, the Lord says it's very serious. How do we bear his name in vain? Perhaps profanity, promises, prophecy. Fourthly, Purity. Let me just throw up on the screen at 1 Corinthians 5. Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, But now I'm writing to you, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, literally anyone who bears the name of a brother. It's thinking about this commandment. But if sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. The, The specifics there, those were presumably the specific issues in Corinth. The issues might be different for us today. But Paul is saying anyone who bears the name of a brother, anyone who bears the name of Jesus and lives completely opposite from how he would have lived, has a reputation for these things that are completely the opposite of the values of Jesus Christ. You can't have someone like that in the church who'd say to Christians, with such a person, don't even eat. Because to bear the name of Jesus, but to live in a way that's impure, means we bear his name in vain. It means we drag his name through the mud. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. Whether that's by profanity, promises, prophecy, purity. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God, the name of Yahweh your God, in vain. Of course, it can work the other way. It can be. And so very often it is that where God's people are changed by the Holy Spirit, people see something of Jesus, see something wonderful, attractive, beautiful about him. I was, uh, came across this recently. Uh, Don Carson, uh, a Christian teacher in the States, but he has written a little book called From the Resurrection to the Lord's Return. And he tells this story. When he was an undergraduate student, uh, he was part of a little Bible study group uh, run by a guy called Dave. And it was a Bible study group for people who were investigating Christianity, sort of like we do Christianity Explored here. And uh, there's another Dave in the group, confusingly. We've got two Daves uh, in this story, but here we go. Um, and Dave number two, so Dave number one is leading the group. Dave number two, who isn't a Christian, uh, asks this question. What do you think that you've got, Christians, that we haven't got? For what seemed like two or three minutes, Dave, number one, looked at him. Then he said watch me i beg your pardon dave repeated what he just said watch me and then expand it watch me i've got an extra bed. move in with me be my guest i'll pay for the food you go to your classes do whatever you have to do but watch me you watch when i get up when i interact with people what i say what moves me what i live for what i want in life you watch me for the rest of the semester and then you tell me at the end of it whether or not there's a difference Dave, too, didn't literally take Dave up on his offer. He didn't move in with him, but he did keep going to see him. And before the end of that semester, he became a Christian and subsequently a medical missionary overseas. Dave was able to say, because he knew that he bore the name of Jesus, because he knew the Holy Spirit had changed him, watch me and see the difference that Jesus made can I ask, if you're, me, if you're here and not a Christian, have you ever thought about doing something like that? I don't mean literally to move in with someone for a term. I think you can only do that when you're a student and don't have responsibilities. Uh, but have you ever, sorry, sorry, down here, um, enjoy the summer, it's great. Uh, have you ever thought about just watching? Watching a Christian. Maybe you're here because a friend brought you along who's a Christian. Maybe you've been here for a while and starting to get to know some of the church family. Have you ever sniffed around and, and asked, is there a difference here? Is it that Jesus made a difference to this group of people? Of course, if you're thinking about Christianity, the question really is, what do I make of Jesus Christ? He's at the heart of it. But if his claims are true then one of the evidences of that will be that he makes a difference to those who bear his name. Of course, for us who are Christians, the story of Dave, one says it's an encouragement and one says it's a challenge. What would happen if someone moved into It's London, no one has a spare bed, but if someone came and slept on your sofa, watched you when you got up, watched you when you interact, above all, watched us as we gather together as church in the name of Jesus. What would they make of us? What would they make of you and me? Dave is the positive example of where things go wrong. Ezekiel 36. We're we going to turn here. This is our last point. Ezekiel 36, page 867, is the negative example. At the end of a commandment, Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who bears his name in vain. Ezekiel 36 makes that point very starkly here in black and white. The Lord cares when people bear his name badly. Ezekiel, uh, like Exodus, in many ways, one of the big themes of the book is the name of the Lord. Fourteen times you get that phrase, my holy name. And one of the huge themes in Ezekiel is that God is concerned, his great concern is for his name. That it be honoured, that it be known Rightly that it not be maligned or slandered you can see that right here ezekiel 36 page 867 down at verse 20 bottom right sorry verse 21 where god says i had concern for my holy name that's the drive that goes right through the book of ezekiel god has concern for his name uh, but i uh, look just up one verse verse 20 Verse 20, and wherever they went, he's talking about his people, Israel, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, yet they had to leave his land. These are the Lord's people. The equivalent of that today is, I thought you called yourself a Christian. I, I, I've been thinking about this week, <laughs> some of the times people have said that to me, similar. One of the ones that sticks out at school, uh, uh, our Form tutor wasn't around. One morning, we knew we were meant to go to chapel. It was a little dull. We didn't want to go, uh, and so used our, the excuse a form tutor didn't come. We didn't know we needed to go because it doesn't normally happen on a Tuesday. Uh, and we're in Sixthorn. Head of sixth form came around and started read us the riot act, and then just turned to me and said, "And Richard, I would have thought better from you, uh, because you call yourself a Christian." And not only are you ignoring the school, but you're not bothering to go to chapel where God's word is taught. I think of examples more recently. I imagine many of us can. I thought you called yourself a Christian. You get it here, verse 20. Wherever they went, people are saying, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. These are Yahweh's people, and yet they behaved like that. And so God's name is profaned. It's dragged through the mud. And because he's concerned for his name, because his great concern is for his name to be honoured, Verse 19, I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered through the countries. God cares more for his name than for his people's comfort. And so because his great concern is for his name, he disciplines his people to teach them to live in a way that means we bear his name well and not in vain. The warning of this chapter of Ezekiel 36 is that God's great concern is for his name. But the best news in this chapter is that the Lord's great concern is for his name. Because, pick it up from verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the nations. God says, I'm going to act, and it's not for your sake. The main reason I'm acting isn't because I love you, though I do. The main reason I'm acting is for the sake of my name. I'm determined that my name will be known to be holy. And so what will he do? Verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I'll gather you back from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from your your impurities and from your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give your heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep your laws. Yahweh says to his people, you bear my name and yet you live like this. It's a disgrace to my name. I could remove my name from your head and just leave you to it. Try again with someone else. But instead I'm going to change your heart. Instead of taking my name off your head, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to make it that you bear my name well. I will move you, verse 27, to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You're not going to manage. We've had hundreds of years of trying. You're not going to manage. I'll make sure it happens because I'm so concerned for my name. I'm so determined that there is a people in the world who can show the universe what it looks like where Jesus is Lord that I will make sure it happens. You will bear my name well. In one sense, you could do this for all the commandments, the ten that we're looking at. They are commandments, they're instructions, but you can rephrase them, re-emphasize them as promises. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. You will not, you won't, bear the name of Yahweh in vain. Of course, in this life we'll be A mix will be a mess. (laughs) There'll be good and bad. There'll be vanity and truth. But one day, the commandment is a promise. You will not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. The very last time the Bible talks about names, it's talking about Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose name, sorry, his rider is called. His name is Faithful and True. His name is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, given the name above every name. And on the next page, the last chapter of the Bible, the promise is, we will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads. In the new creation, come Lord Jesus, we will bear his name for all eternity. The universe will see this is God's people and it will not be in vain. Because the Lord is so concerned for his name, is so determined to have a people that show the universe this is what I'm like. That he will do everything that needs to be done. That we will bear his name on our foreheads, not in vain, but for good. Truthfully, honestly, well, for all eternity. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who bears his name in vain. And one day you won't. One day we won't. Should we pray together? Oh, God, our Father, your name is a wonderful name. The name of Jesus is sweet to us. We love to hear of him. We love to speak to him. We love to hear his name. And our Father, we praise you that his is a name that we bear, that we've been given, that is ours. Father, please, even now, even today, this week, in this life, would you teach us, would you move us by your spirit to bear his name well, to represent him well, to a world who sees him in us. And our Father, please will you keep us as you've promised until that day where we will bear his name perfectly. Father, please would that hope mean that now we keep following him, looking to serve him, to bear his name well. Amen.